Well, good morning. Um, hopefully you all had a good week. It's been a tough one for us. I've been sick all week. My wife is now sick. Pray for her, please. Uh, she's in bed. Most of you know her. If she could be here, she would be. So, um, Plus, we had a, a death in the church family, so hopefully you had a good week. Pray for us that, that are, are, are struggling in one aspect or another. <clears throat> so we're in a series called Follow, and... Um, premise was, if you didn't know anything about Christianity, it's like a blank slate, what is required of you? So we looked at some of the, the uh, early disciples and how Jesus called them and basically said, just come follow me. You don't have to change anything, you don't have to believe on the Messiah, just come follow me, hang out with me. So as we progressed through the series, we got to the place where, and I thank Pastor Clint for uh, two weeks ago, kind of crossing that threshold, eventually you got to decide you're in or you're all in, step across that line. And when you do, um, it's going to cost you something. <clears throat> and uh, it's not going to cost you as much as you're going to gain, but it's going to cost you something. So you have that decision to make that, you have to weigh that decision. There's a tension there. And so now we're up to, to week seven of eight, and we're going to talk about a topic that some of you are going to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I think you'll see it applies to all of us, and that's leading well or leading great. Um, you say, well, I, I don't lead anybody. I'm, you know, I, you know, other people tell me what to do. I don't tell anybody else what to do, whatever. But we're all at different stages in this follow, and if you're not a follower yet, we hope that you become one, but we're glad that you're here. Uh, there's some part of this teaching I'm sure you can take advantage of. We're all trying to figure out <laughs> My stage, I've been doing this for over 50 years, following Jesus. At my stage, what does that look like, following Jesus? You may have done it longer. You may have done it a shorter time. You, you may have just begun following Jesus. So what does that look like? But one thing, when you, have to, when you talk about following, there's somebody to follow. There has to be a leader. And we don't often think about Jesus as a leader. We think about this religious figure. But he was a great leader, a tremendous leader, uh, a great example for us. And I think one of the reasons is this. We look at religion as something that doesn't change. Now, the, the truth of the gospel, the truth in the Bible doesn't change. But, and maybe religion doesn't change. That's why people like it. Uh, but the church changes. The church constantly changes. Life changes. The world changes. The, the church changes. And Jesus was, think about it this way. Jesus was the Biggest change agent the world has ever seen, right? When he started this thing called Christianity. <clears throat> so Jesus produced great change. So in the, the story we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to teach us the secret, if you will, what leading great looks like. <clears throat> and if you're a Jesus follower, this is not an optional thing. If you're not, like I said, there's some things you can learn. You can pick and choose what you want. But if you're a Jesus follower, this is actually a marching order. This is a command. This is something we're required to do. <clears throat> One other thing, we'll, we'll move on here. Think about this. Jesus started something. We would say a brand. In our culture today, we'd say he started a brand. He started a brand <clears throat> in this little unknown uh, back, back part of the uh, Roman Empire. He started this brand that we call Christianity Today. <laughs> Uh, with this un, basically uneducated group of people, and then he died. And this brand has grown <laughs> to 
to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of locations we call churches, and millions, if not billions, over 2,000 years of followers. I don't think any other brand has lasted 2,000 years. Do you know any other brands last that 2,000 years? I don't think so. <clears throat> so he would be the obvious model for success, right? The how-to. Now, we're going to look at the story that, that Mark records for us. Now, Mark wasn't one of the disciples. Most experts believe what Mark wrote down, he got from Peter. So Peter's telling him all this stuff that happened. So Peter got it firsthand, and, and Mark wrote it down for us. Now, this is a pretty fascinating story. Uh, some of it's kind of sad. It tells us a lot about our nature, a good side and a bad side of our nature. So we're going to pick the story up in Mark chapter 10, verse 32. <clears throat> and Jesus just taught this, uh, this teaching that it's really hard for rich people to get into heaven, which really shocked the folks then because they figured the richer you are, the more you're blessed by God. So if you're a rich person, you're definitely going to go to heaven. And so the basic point of that teaching was that we all get to heaven the same way, right? By the grace of God. And our money sometimes keeps us from, from coming to God or following, following God. <clears throat> so that's where we pick up the story, and we'll see the reaction to that story at the beginning here. They, the, Jesus' disciples in the crowd, <clears throat> oh, back up, I didn't read that yet. <laughs> they were now on their way up to Jerusalem. They'd been to Jerusalem before. They're going back there for the last time. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. So Jesus is ahead. They're, they're literally following, right? <clears throat> and the disciples were filled with awe, awe. And the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. There was something about Jesus that just uh, made the people uncomfortable. Taking the 12 disciples aside, so Jesus said, okay, I, I need something to say to you guys. I want the rest of the crowd to hear it. Jesus once more, so this is something he had told them before. It wasn't the first time. Uh, theologians tell us it's at least the third time it recorded that he, he had said this to them. He began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. So he says, the next verse, he says, listen, pay attention. <laughs> and those of us that teach or those of us that have kids will say to them, hey, kids, <laughs> I got something to tell you. Listen, please. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, right? Same with you and I and, and what God has to say to us. <clears throat> We're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, he's talking third person, he's talking about himself in the third person, will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. They'll sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. Now, we talked about that last week, so you can go back and watch it or listen to it if you like. Uh, but Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen to me, and we know that actually happened. And then he predicts something very uh, specific. Uh, in the next verse, he says, after this happens, this is what's going to happen to me. He says, they, the Romans, will, uh, and the crowd will mock him or me, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. All right, so he's going to be tortured and executed. This is Jesus talking about himself, Right? To his closest followers, disciples, they've been with him for over three years. And after three days, he'll rise again. So Jesus said, okay, I'm preparing you for what's coming. You don't need to be surprised. Consequently, this is God's plan, right? He said, this is what's coming. He could have stopped it. He could have changed it. This is what's coming. This is God's plan. Now, 
If you heard this, if you're Jesus following, you heard this, what would your response be? Well, earlier on, they say, ah, oh, we don't want to hear about that stuff. That's not going to happen to you. You're going to become king. But he said this over and over again. So at this point, if you're a disciple, say, wouldn't your response be, wow, <clears throat> that's, that's really sad, Jesus. Anything I, we can do to stop this? Can, I, can we help? This is a really tender moment, right? Well, <clears throat> evidently not so much because what happens next is kind of odd. Next verse. <clears throat> then James and John, these are two of the twelve, sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. Now, we've all kind of experienced this. You ever set your kids down for, for a really important conversation, <clears throat> maybe something difficult, and you go on to the, com- to the, the conversation, when you get finished, you say any questions, say, oh, can we go to a room now and play video games? It's like, kind of goes over their head. Uh, not really important to them, even though it's really important to you. And that seems to be what happens here. But Jesus is, is, is sensitive, sensitive to them, and says, okay, uh, what's your request? He asked them. What do you want, want from me? Next verse. And then Jesus, they, they tell him, okay? Next verse. They reply, when you sit on your glorious throne, wait a minute, Jesus just told me he's going to suffer and die. When you sit on your glorious throne, you know, that's why we're following you. We're going to be ruling with you. We want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and one other on your left. Okay, Jesus has just poured his heart out to them. He's told about his suffering and death. And what are they concerned about? I put it on your outline this way. Their biggest concern is not Jesus, what's going to happen to him, but what's going to happen to them. Got a little confession to make here. Two weeks ago, I was gone, and I was in another church, church, church service. And when I go to another church and sit in another service, which is rare, I analyze. I partly say, wait, what are they doing well that we can do better? And they were doing well. They had good guest services and people meeting me in the parking lot and friendly people, nice facility and all that. <clears throat> but then I get into the actual service and I start, you know, not criticizing so much, but kind of judging and evaluating, and I have to stop myself and say, okay, that's not why I'm here. And hopefully that's not why you're here. I come to a worship service to what? To worship, <laughs> all right? And so I, I, I try and push that aside. And I hear people say to, this, say, say to us in leadership sometimes, and I understand what you're saying, but I didn't get anything out of the service, meaning the worship service. What they're meaning is, you didn't do a good job helping me connect with God. And so we, so we, we take that seriously uh, and, and try and do better. But ultimately, why are you here? And why was I in worship? It wasn't for what I was to get. It was to what I was to give, in this case, worship. But these guys weren't concerned. And again, we're guilty of this too. What was going to happen to Jesus? What was going to happen to them? <clears throat> so Jesus answers their question honestly. Uh, he says, well, he asked him a question. You don't know, or first, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to do this? Drink this bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And of course, they respond, sure we are. Easy to say, right? 
Easy to say, oh yeah, I can do that. Peter, hours before Jesus was arrested, said, yeah, I'll never deny you, and then he denies him three times. So it's, talk is easy. And so it's easy for us to say that we're going to do something, and then our lives get a little difficult, and we complain about it, right? <clears throat> he said, we are able. Jesus said, uh, you will indeed drink from this bitter cup, be baptized with the baptism of suffering. History tells us, or, or tradition tells us, that we know that John was exiled to Patmos. He lived to be an older person, but he was in exile. Uh, James uh, probably was, was executed for his faith. So it really was going to happen to them eventually. <clears throat> but then Jesus says, okay, but, next verse, I don't have the right to say to you who sits on my right or left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. This is out of my control. I don't have this authority. So he denies the request. Not because he didn't want to do it. He just didn't have the authority. <clears throat> and God denies our requests sometimes, doesn't he? You ever been denied a request from God? <clears throat> One thing that's really important to remember when that happens is when God denies your request, it's for your good. Parents, your children come to you and say, hey, I want to eat candy for dinner. Do you give them their request? You deny their request. Why do you deny the request? Because that's what's good for them. So just remember that. When God denies your request, you might not understand it. I sometimes don't. But God denies your request when it's not what's best for us. Okay. So God, Jesus doesn't scold them for saying how insensitive you are. So now the other ten disciples come on the scene, or into the story. So maybe they're going to be more sensitive to Jesus. What do you think? All right. Let's see. The other ten disciples heard that James and John had asked, and they were indignant. How, how, how could you guys be so insensitive? Jesus just poured his heart out to us. What are you thinking? Is that why they were upset? They were upset because they wanted to be the first and the second people after Jesus in his kingdom. So they weren't getting it. They didn't understand it. In fact, they were being very insensitive to something Jesus was telling them was going to happen to him. <clears throat> so Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. Teachers, got teachers here. Teaching moment, right? So he calls them together and says, <clears throat> all 12 now, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over the people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. So you know how authority works in our culture, in our world. If you're the king, you tell everybody else what to do. You know, if you're the prince, you can tell everybody what the king what to do. It just kind of trickles down. At work, the boss tells everybody else what to do. You know, there's some, some people on the lower levels, they tell people under them what to do. In fact, this word flaunt means they abuse, and people often abuse their power. And maybe in your workplace, somebody is abusing power. I don't know. But that's, that's normal, and that, that's what happens in our culture. It happens in our, our, our culture. You expect people under you to serve you. That's natural. And that's exactly what disciples wanted. Why did they want to be right under Jesus? Because everybody else, everybody's going to serve Jesus, but everybody else is going to serve me except for Jesus, right? So teaching moment, right? So what's Jesus say to them? He said, you understand how it works in culture, in society, but among you, it's going to be different. 
But Jesus, that's why we want to be next to you, because we want it to work that way. We want people to serve us. He said, no, no, it's gonna, for you it's going to be different. I want you to lead like I lead. So whoever wants to be a leader among you, you want to be a leader? You want people to serve you? It goes on. <clears throat> you must be this, your servant. Wait, 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 wait a minute. We can talk about the servant stuff. We want to be, you know, leaders and rulers and then people serve us. Jesus is kind of upside down. <clears throat> Jesus is saying, you want to get ahead and if you want to be successful as a leader, you want to be a great leader, the way you do that is by serving other people. I know it's not what the culture does. It's not the model you've seen, except for, for me. But that's what you do. And then he reinforces it. He says, and whoever wants to be first, and we're all wanting to be first, important, must be the slave of everyone else. So if I want to be here, i got to be down here. Again, Jesus is kind of upside down. I don't quite understand it. <clears throat> this, our reaction to this, is, especially even in our culture today, is that, that, that won't work in the workplace. It might work in church, and that, the Christianity thing, but that that's definitely can't work in the workplace, the marketplace. Let me ask you a simple question. This following Jesus, is it a Sunday thing or is it a 24-7 thing? We spend a couple hours in church on Sunday. We spend, quote-unquote, 40 hours a week on the job. So we've got a lot more time to practice Christianity, practice following Jesus on the job than we do on Sunday. Now, obviously, this is not intuitive. This is not natural. This isn't the way we think. This is the way we operate. So I got to thinking about examples in culture. One of the biggest success stories in my generation is Walmart. All right? <clears throat> when I was growing up, there was no Walmart. Now, Walmarts were everywhere, and uh, Mr. Walton became, I think, one of the richest men in the world before he died. And now his kids are some of the richest world, <laughs> dividing it all up. <clears throat> Now, how did Walmart get so popular? And I think the biggest key, there's a different reason, but the biggest key is they said the customer is always right, and they took that seriously. So if you're a customer and you go to Walmart and they're saying you're always right, that's where you want to shop, isn't it? Now, they got good prices and other things. Well, what are they saying? We're here to serve you. And that was kind of new in the, in the retail business. So this is not being, some, being passive. Okay, I'm a leader. I'm just going to let everybody walk over me. I'm going to serve them. No, you actively do this. The way we're summarizing it is this way. Leverage your authority, your gifts, your time, your energy, whatever you want to put in there. Leverage it for the benefit of those under your authority. Now, I don't know what your workplace is like, <clears throat> but would you like to work at a place like that? Whoever's above you, whoever's your boss, says, hey, I'm going to use my authority to benefit you. That'd be a great workplace atmosphere, wouldn't it? On the other hand, let me put it this way. If you believe that I'm here for me, being your boss or being your person in authority over you, you better look out for you because I'm not looking out for you, right? And that's kind of the dog-eat-dog <clears throat> dog world that we live in. That's the way a lot of people operate. That's the way a lot of leaders operate. 
But on the other hand, if you believe that I'm here for you, and maybe you have a boss like that, that'd be great if you did. You can be there for the people you report to or people under you, can't you? Now, leadership's a big topic in our culture. There's all kinds of blogs and books, and this isn't new. Uh, back in the 80s, Cubby was pretty big with like the seven habits of a great leader, and somebody else wrote a book about five habits. Uh, Jim Collins come, came along, a book that some of you might know is called Good to, Good to Great. He talks about level five leaders. And the interesting thing in that book about level five leaders, they, they had this assumption that all the great leaders, what quality would they all have? There must be some, something they all have. Now, what they thought it was was charisma. You know, all great leaders are going to have charisma. They're just going to be, people are going to be naturally drawn to them. But that's not what they found. The only quality they could find in all great leaders was this. And I found this really surprising. Humility. We're not talking in church. We're talking in, in business. It's humility. Now, a leader's job is to move things forward, to make progress, have the business grow and be successful and so forth. And they're, they're, they're driven men, obviously. You know, driven men. <clears throat> but they have this tension and they're able to manage it well, the great leaders. And have humility. Their, their ambition is not for them. It's not to make a name for themselves. It's to make a name for their company and obviously the people in the company. So we say to you, following Jesus makes your life better. It makes you better at life. So, let's make application. How can you make application? Whether it's you know, you say, well, I don't lead anybody. If you're a parent, you lead your kids. I mean, teenagers. Uh, my grandson is, is the captain of his soccer team. I mean, you, you, we, we all have influence. We all have positions of, uh, that we have authority in. So I came across this years ago, and I, I, I try and use this, and especially in leadership meetings. But anytime, you can ask this question, what can I do to help? Sometimes I word it this way, what do you need from me? Do you make a phone call? Do you need me to get some money for you? Do you need me to talk to somebody? Do you need me to go actually do something for you? What can I do to help? What do you need from me? Now the interesting thing about this is, <clears throat> this is the gospel. God is saying to himself, okay, you, mankind, what do you need from me? See, Christianity is different from all other religions. All other religions are people trying to figure out how to get to God. And God says, you can't do that. I'm going to figure out how to get to you. What do you need from me? You need me, ultimately, to send my son Jesus to earth, to suffer, and to die, be resurrected, conquer death. That's what you need, so that's what I'm going to do. So if God is our model, and Jesus is our model, that's exactly what they've done. They've asked, what do you need from me? What can I do to help? You and I need to figure out how we do that in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, in our community. Now, a couple of side notes here. First one is this. Look for opportunities to do for one which you wish you could do for everyone. Did Jesus heal everyone? Did he talk to everyone? Did he witness to everyone? Did he, did he feed everyone? He fed a lot of people different times, but he didn't feed everyone. So what does that look like for you? 
Now, we can't, as a church, we can't feed all the kids that are hungry on the weekend, but Angela, how many are we feeding? Angela in here? It's 20-some, 30-some, I don't know how many we're feeding right now. So we, through Micah's backpack, feed all these children on the weekend from Smithsburg Elementary School. We can't feed everyone, but we can feed them. Do for one or groups of one that you wish you could do for everyone. Now, something else you have to remember in this principle is this, and this kind of holds us up sometimes. Don't try and be fair. Just be engaged. Well, it's not fair we can't feed all the kids. Well, (laughs) nobody can help everybody, but we can help somebody. So this is Jesus' standard for us. It's Jesus' followers, and I think it's wise for anyone. Leverage your authority for those under your authority. Again, workplace, home, church, wherever it might be. Because ultimately, we do what we do for who? For God. In fact, Paul talks about it. He says, we work as we're working unto the Lord. So ultimately, I don't know who your boss is at, at work, but God's your, 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 your top boss. And this is what he's telling us to do. Now, to be able to do this, you and I have to do something really important. That's confront our egos. And the one way you can do that is asking yourself the question, am I really worth living my life for? And I can give you the answer. The answer is no. <clears throat> and here's how, why. Five years from now, five years after you die, how many people are going to remember? Maybe on your birthday, whatever. Family members will. But anybody else? And after a generation? I, I, you know the last time I thought about my grandparents? My last grandparent died in, my, in the 70s, 1970s. Was thinking about what to share with you guys today. I hadn't thought about them for years. And they're only two generations away. Unless you're a president or something. Nobody's going to remember you after you die. Not for long. So you and I are worth living our life for. We're not that important. But we have the opportunity, not only the opportunity, but the responsibility as a Jesus follower to bring glory to Jesus. And the way he says to do that is by serving those around you. And everything's better. And he ends with this powerful statement. Even the Son of Man, again, third person, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve. This is God in the flesh. The most important person in the universe didn't come to be served. He was the third person that deserves to be served more than anyone that ever created, ever lived. So if he took the position of a servant, washed the disciples' feet, whatever, certainly you and I should. But it goes beyond that. He said, I didn't even come to serve, but to serve others. And the way I did that was giving my life, paying the ultimate price that you could be reconnected with God. So why should we serve? Because Jesus, the Son of God, served. So you and I need to leverage our authority, whatever power or influence we have, for the benefit of those under our authority. 
And the wonderful thing about this, about being a Jesus follower, is a win-win. We win by servant leadership, and you win by us serving. Here's your homework. What does this look like in your world? What does it look like in your family? Now, parents do this for their kids, don't they? What does this look like? Kids, what if you did this for your parents? That's a new thought, right? What does it look like in your workplace? What's it look like here in our church? Jesus, model, servant, leadership. Let's pray. Father God, you created us. You know us better than we know ourselves. This doesn't seem to be the way we should lead, but you know better than us. You modeled it. It certainly worked for you, and it worked for us. It's hard to do. Uh, God, we all are self-centered. We all want to be first. Uh, yet, God, when we do this, the blessings that come outweigh ever being, ever being served. God, I want to pray for everyone here. Some aren't Jesus followers, I'm sure. And God, we just pray that they would consider it. Maybe even try. Don't have to change anything. Don't have to believe anything. Just Just spend some time with Jesus or spend some time with people that are Jesus followers. God, as we walk along that that process, changes happen. We become more like your son Jesus. We become more fulfilled people and more useful to other people. So God, help us put this model into practice in our own lives, in our families, in our workplaces. We know the purpose for all this would give you glory. God, I pray that is our desire. And for those that aren't Jesus followers, we want to pray a special prayer for you that today would be the day you would say, I'm at least going to give it a try. I'm going to at least find out more about this Jesus. I'm at least going to hang out with some Jesus followers and see if it can't benefit my life. We all start, as we talked about, as Jesus consumers. What's in it for us? And ultimately get to the place where, because of what Jesus, you have done for us, we give you our life. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.